0: Hi, I'm Chris Peterson, and this is Kindred Cast, a podcast featuring insights from dealmakers and thought leaders from the world of tech, media, and everything in between. KindredCast is a production of Kindred Media, powered by Liontree, a global merchant and investment bank. On today's show, John Patrickoff, CEO and co-founder of Athletes Unlimited, speaks with Liontree's Alex Michael about his young company's success to date. Athletes Unlimited is an unconventional new take on sports, enabling elite competitors from underrepresented sports such as women's softball and volleyball to compete more directly. And though their single location model predated COVID, it certainly gives them a leg up during this challenging time. To listen to our other Kindred Media shows or receive our daily Take a Break newsletter, be sure to head to the link in our show notes or visit kindredmedia.com. Now, let's hear from John and Alex.
1: Hello, everyone. I'm Alex Michael with Liontree. Tree. Welcome to Kindred Cast. We have a fantastic guest today. He's a longtime friend of the firm and, and myself. His name is John Patrickoff. John is the CEO and co founder of a really exciting new sports concept, a sports property called Athletes Unlimited, which he'll talk a lot about. It's revolutionizing not only women's sports, but I really think sports in general. And John, of course, is a longtime sports and entertainment executive, having most recently been president of the New York City Football Club in the Major League Soccer League. And he was a longtime executive with Tribeca Enterprises, among other stops. And John, we are so thrilled to have you here. I know you're fresh off the first inaugural Athletes Unlimited Softball event. How are you?
2: I'm great. It's good to be back in New York. I was in Rosemont, Illinois for the better part of the last 40 days in our we didn't call it a bubble, we called it a shield. So, uh, I I certainly am one of those people who in 2020 knows what it was like to be in a very unique environment for a good portion of it. So, it's great. I'm glad to be back.
1: I saw in the press you were calling it a shield. You didn't really tell anyone why, but but it works. We got the concept. You were the first here. And so we're going to talk a lot about Athletes Unlimited because I really think it's the right time. It's the right concept, and I think you've gotten a lot of press, but for those people who haven't read about Athletes Unlimited, perhaps you could quickly summarize what this concept is and and what just happened in beautiful Rosemont, Illinois.
2: Exactly. So, um, Athletes Unlimited is a network of pro sports leagues that all follow the same model. Each league, we just started with women's pro softball. The next one will be women's pro indoor volleyball. And then we're going to announce our third later this month, which will take place in 2021. So each league follows the same model. We bring together a small group of elite athletes, four teams worth of athletes to one location, All the games, all the practices are all conducted in the same city. The model of competition is very different. The athletes change teams each week and they get points based on how well they do as a team that week, as well as how they do it individually. So based on as the softball player, how many hits you recorded or how many outs as a pitcher you recorded, you got points individually and you got points if your team won at the end of the week. The top four players in the league became captains for the following week, and they drafted new teams. We did our draft on Facebook Live. It was incredibly fun. And then you go back at it the next week. And so there are no fixed teams. There's no Yankees, Mets, you know, Red Sox. This is all about the individual athletes, and they switch teams each week. At the end of the season, there's a leaderboard that looks a lot like a golf leaderboard or a a NASCAR leaderboard. And the player at the top is the champion and takes home the most prize money.
1: So it really is like fantasy. I mean, this will resonate with anyone who plays fantasy sports because it is about the individual players. This all happened in one location, right? It's a tournament of sorts. It's not multi-cities. It's not teams based on geography. It is about the players, which I think is just so novel when it comes to team sports because that's just not what we've grown up on. And certainly, you've been around team sports for a long time. We mentioned NYC FC. What was the impetus? I know you co-founded this with Jonathan Soros. Why now and why this concept?
2: So, the way this kind of all came to be is that I was at NYCFC, as you mentioned, and that's a tremendous company. I mean, I think now everyone knows about City Football Group and the sports and entertainment industry. Back then, when I joined, it honestly was still under the radar screen that the ownership group had taken over Man City and they were building this global soccer uh, network of clubs. I really thought the vision of the, the leadership there was tremendous. That's why I joined on, and I'd been there for a number of years. and. When I started to look around at other areas of opportunity, um, I really thought women's pro sports was just undervalued generally. I thought the the athletes themselves had incredible stories who were awesome in terms of off the field as well as on the field. And I thought that's increasingly important going forward. So I was interested in women's sports. I started to talk to a number of different potential partners. And Jonathan Soros and I started to spend a good amount of time talking about it. And we really started to then think about, and Jonathan gets a lot of the credit for this, saying, all right, what if we don't go buy into an existing league, become a team owner in an existing league. But what if we go start a property on its own? I you know, having been around like you for a longer time in the, in the sports and entertainment industry than, than initially. Jonathan, I said, you're crazy. It's a terrible idea. Do you know how many new leagues fail? All the challenges that, that exist. But after we spent six months, I mean, the first call, I really did say that to him. I kind of I listened to him. We joke about it now that in that meeting, I kind of didn't say that to his face. I kind of thought it and then kind of entertained it. And we would then talk every every few weeks and we'd keep the conversation going. And then I started to say, all right, well, what if we did this? What if we didn't start traveling and try to build a network of 10 cities? What if we did it all in one city? What if it was a limited number of players? What if we really emphasized the storytelling and the media component, not the on-site?" And so through that process, um, we developed this concept together. And uh, this was now, we formalized it in June of 2019. So almost you know, 15, 16 months ago. And, um, that's really what we've been working on over the last period of time.
1: And you guys were particularly prescient about COVID. Obviously no one knew this was coming, but you announced this league literally a week before COVID set in here, at least in the United States. How did you feel like immaculate timing, if you will, but you ended up being the only sports property to be able to persist because you were really the first to have a bubble in concept.
2: It's really true. I mean, you know, we have the recordings of our Zoom meetings uh, back from March. I I should say we were also a virtual organization. So not only did we start in June of 19 with this concept of we're going to do everything in one city. It's going to be six weeks and work fully towards that plan. And so when March came along, we announced publicly on March 3rd, but obviously we've been working on it for more than nine months at that point. I have the recording of the Zoom meeting kind of in mid-March, and we really were sitting there and certainly we had some questions about what was going to happen, even would it be safe to continue with our idea. But we only had to make one change to our business model, and that was we decided not to have fans in Rosemont, which was a small, small part of the business to begin with. Everything else basically just kept going as planned. Of course, with the exception of kind of the health and safety protocols we need to take. But but you're right, our model, exact same number of athletes, exact same duration, exact same location, same media strategy. There were a couple elements that also changed in terms of kind of the virtual fan experience that I think we we actually benefited from in some respects because of COVID, because it got let us really focus more on the fans around the world rather than the fans in the stadium, which... We would have done, but I don't think we'd have done to the same extent. So it was a surreal moment. March was crazy, but we really never had to change the model in any
1: substantial way. It seemed to be a huge success. You know, I read a lot of the articles It got great coverage. You had streaming deals with a lot of the major uh, distribution platforms. It seemed like sponsors showed up. We can talk about that. Why do you think it's resonated? Why is this time different? Because... As you've known, and we've both known, and since my days at Madison Square Garden looking at properties, this is terribly difficult. It is very hard to launch a league, whether it's traditional, whether it's new, it is very hard. Why will Athletes Unlimited be different? And so far, so good, but it's a six-week tournament, right?
2: Yeah, I think we made some really good decisions. And by the way, I'm the first one... To recognize we have a long way to go this is just the beginning and i don't want to give anyone the impression like you know that this is snap your fingers and like you know we're set right like there's a lot of work left to do this is the first league in the network we have to launch uh, volleyball in february like i said we need more scale But you're right, it did surpass all expectations in terms of success. Uh, The fact that we had 30 games across CBS and ESPN, the fact that we signed on partners like Geico and like Carvana and like Nike. And most importantly, we got amazing athletes to come. And that is no small feat in and of itself. We had 19 Olympians out of the 57 athletes, and they came away hugely positive. And I think that it was dramatic. And I always said that was the first criteria. We've certainly seen this kind of in the NBA. We know what labor issues have posed. We've also seen this certainly in the women's sports area, certainly last year in particular with all the challenges that existed and around compensation and around kind of labor relations. So I knew from the beginning that the most important thing was going to be, do we come out of this? that so the athletes saying this was an amazing experience and that far surpassed their expectations, our expectations on all levels. So I think the important part though was scaling it right and starting with some really just good insights and doing the research research. And again, when you start with a blank sheet of paper, it's really hard, but it gives you a lot of freedom, right? You get to start say, okay, what would I actually do if I could start over again? And there are a lot of things like I wouldn't make athletes travel all around the country to go to venues that have to be rented out. And effectively, you know, you mentioned MSG and, you know, through Tribeca, we were great partners with them and they're awesome. And I had the privilege of having great partners in the U.A. Yankees when I was at NYCFC, but I saw that as a team or a property, and the XFL is the perfect example, or the AAF, you know, the, the Alliance, you know, they, they were renting out MetLife Stadium. And even if they got 20,000 fans, the stadium's a third fall. You're losing money every time you play a game. That's a really hard model to start from. And so we just wanted to cut a lot of that out, cut out a lot of the waste, a lot of the inefficiency, and put our money and resources towards the media and the product and what we did from a storytelling perspective.
1: And I love the story. I love the concept. Uh, we certainly at Liontree and I myself are big believers that sports has to evolve. We are seeing the same broadcasts, the same descriptions, the same forms of media, you know, year over year, that if, if any industry hasn't changed it's probably sports, even though we have technology everywhere. And I think this idea of sports evolving, that technology being infused in it, that it is about the players and their brands. I mean, that is at the heart of what you're doing,
2: right? Absolutely. I mean, the concept, if you take it from kind of a a business perspective, I've talked about a lot of the ways we wanted to make it more efficient and, and, and save costs. But the growth and the opportunity is not from that. The growth and the opportunity is from what kind of product you deliver to fans, what kind of engagement do you provide them. And when you watched our broadcast, we definitely wanted to find a balance between it's the traditional game that you know and love, but we really infused a whole host of elements. So we had many more kind of mic'd up moments. We provided fans with access to the dugouts. So you could interact with players real time during the games. We had a lot more feature programming than you'd ever see in a startup league. So, you know, we were infusing great storytelling about the athletes. And I'll give you one example that, you know, something that I certainly have taken away, even from my days at Tribeca in particular, I would say, where, you know, we spent a lot of time with the athletes during this six-week period working with them off the field. So we brought in Abby Wambach and her group called Wolfpack Endeavor. We did a whole leadership management training session. Obviously, there's been discussion. The WNBA has done a nice job around this as well, done some interesting things with Nike. But we helped work with the athletes on mental health and And wellness, we had a whole voting rights initiative, a lot of which was just generated by the players. But we had cameras on them all the time, we were telling those stories, and then we'd infuse that into the broadcast. And I think that's what fans want. You know, fans care a lot about what happens on the field, they know when they're watching the best players, but they care about players themselves. That's what really, I think, elevates a sports property. I think it's what's why the NBA is so successful and done such a good job of that storytelling. So for us, that was a huge priority. And that's where we put a significant part of our resources. More than half of our full-time employees are on our content and digital team. So that's where we invested and and that's where we'll continue to invest.
1: And how many employees...
2: Small. So it's interesting. I I was going to share this. I mean, you know, one of the fascinating things about our organization is that from the start, I had never used Zoom before I got to Athletes Unlimited. And we ended up building a network of staff members and consultants who were all over the country. This is even pre-COVID. And so one of the things that didn't change was we were using Zoom and we were kind of operating as a virtual organization. One of the key people on our softball side was based in Nashville from the beginning. Key person on the volleyball side was based out in Colorado. Our CTO is down in Florida. We've got members of our content team all around the country. And then we did create a kind of virtual organization. We worked with CSM, which is a big marketing agency, our PR firm. So we had a lot of external resources. And we ended up well over kind of 60 people kind of full-time working on this startup, but only a fraction of those are full-time employees.
1: Got it. And I also read, speaking of sports and technology, that you had an innovation lab on site i think that's what you characterize it that there was a facility that literally all these interesting technology vendors and Wellness, health, and, and other ways of playing the game and tracking it were all aggregated and the players who come through that. Can you talk a little bit about that and why that was important?
2: Yeah. So, that idea was when we started out with Thoroughly on, and it started as kind of a marketing concept. You know, it was, it was a kind of good, ownable idea, right? Which is, there's so much talk around sports tech and innovation and health and wellness and all the new products that are out there. And so, we really thought, For both fans and for sponsor engagement, why don't we create an athlete innovation lab where we can bring together best in class? We were hoping that a number of the partners that would participate, you know, would would kind of debut products with us and that you'd have the ability for fans to be able to come in and see these products showcase. And then the athletes would be able to use these products as well. And ultimately, we obviously didn't have fans, but the Athlete Innovation Lab worked really well. And for NFL players or NBA players or NHL players, I think they get the best of the best, you know, all the time. But what was incredible is that for our athletes, we really were able to bring them a lot of really cool technologies. Um, Sparta Science was our lead partner on this. And they're Platform was all about kind of testing and uh, monitoring to avoid injury and injury prevention and and maximize performance. So our athletes were participating in the Sparta program on a weekly basis. And it was cool because over the course of a six-week season, you have the ability to kind of do certain monitoring of athletes that you couldn't do otherwise. So the Sparta platform was great. We did some VR setups with a company called Win Reality, where players actually got to do some batting practice using the VR. Classes and then we had some products that players love, like HyperIce and, and Normatag, which you know are incredible recovery tools. And then we told all those stories through digital and social, and you know, and got great exposure for the products. And the, not only the Athlete Innovation Lab, but we tried in our broadcast to infuse a lot of the technologies and on-screen elements that you'd otherwise see. And our scoring system is so new. I mean, you talked about it at the outset. I mean, it is most akin to the fantasy sports. So the concept, though, of you know, while you're watching the broadcast, you're also kind of tracking the leaderboard, getting to see okay, this woman got a hit, therefore she's moved up two spots in the leaderboard. And then we had fans. We actually didn't launch any kind of formal gambling or fantasy product. We ended up having a partnership with DraftKings, which was very cool around a free-to-play pool saw that. that worked really yeah. well. It which worked really well, and I and I even learned through this process, I will say about kind of. My views, and I understand kind of a lot of what's happening in terms around just fan engagement around, obviously around gambling and and something like a free-to-play pool, which we totally saw. I mean, we were blown away, and DraftKings was as well, by the participation in that free-to-play pool. We saw fans self-organizing and creating their own kind of fantasy pools and and fantasy groups to follow the action, which was the best testament, right? That's what matters is seeing a fan engagement.
1: Speaking of the fans, how does that break down? Is it gender, a majority, females, males, ages? Who's your target here?
2: First, you know, one of the things when you start looking at women's sports, as they did now, starting over two years ago, you you realize most of the fans are men and they look a lot like traditional sports fans. You know, there's not a lot from like an age or demographic standpoint that changes. We did a, a lot of research before we launched Athletes Unlimited and that proved out, you know, we tested the concept. We gave people, okay, here's Athletes Unlimited. Here's what our league's about. We infused the fantasy elements, the storytelling elements, and you know we didn't know it would come back. I mean, one of our thoughts initially was that we'd be able to attract more women and new audiences. And when we did that research, the research consistently came back saying, listen, this concept fantasy elements sports you're in it's going to attract more men than women and it's going to look a lot like the traditional sports fan and i think that what we saw over the course of the season is that played out a lot there are a lot of fans of softball i know some people probably listen to this or heard you know we're going off starting a women's pro softball league it sounds like a a little bit like a crazy idea right i mean with the scheme of sports that we all know and you know someone said why aren't you going into esports or why aren't you going into you know Lacrosse or another, and we started with women's pro softball. But the insight was that there were fifteen hundred games a year being broadcast at the college level on ESPN. Ratings were double digit growth, two thousand eighteen to two thousand nineteen. It was over twenty percent growth on, on the ESPN networks, and the ratings just generally forget even growth on an absolute level. You know, surpassed basically every other college sport except for men's basketball and men's football. So it does better than men's baseball, as an example, at the college level. So we knew that there was this kind of fan base in there already, and we want to certainly appeal to them as a start. But I think we energized a lot of people who saw the Athletes Unlimited model. And I hope, and our vision is that people will associate with the brand, right? That they'll cross over with us, that, yeah, there'll be some people who just love Athletes Unlimited softball or Athletes Unlimited volleyball. But ultimately, I hope that what will happen is will have created a network and a brand with Athletes Unlimited that people will feel connected to. And they'll say the scoring system's great. I love what they do with the athletes on and off the field. I love how athletes are empowered and involved. And they'll therefore kind of stick with us throughout the year. We'll see how that proves out. But that's certainly the vision and hope.
1: And again, volleyball is coming next. But to your point on the brand, you've cut out the team layer, right? You have the wrapper of Athletes Unlimited that can be stamped on multiple sports. And then of course, the players, but there isn't again that New York or Chicago or Nashville. This is about that wrapper in the sense of the brand of Athletes Unlimited, and then really making the players stand out.
2: It's exactly right. That was a a huge piece of this, which is is that so much of the energy and resources have gone in most leagues have gone into building the local connection, local staffs, local ticketing, local marketing. Yeah, listen, I, I think there's a lot of value that a lot of the existing incumbent leagues derive from those connections. But for us, you know, the insight was let's go build a global audience. Let's not cut up the marketplace into you know, a 90-mile radius. I'll admit, this is a little embarrassing, but when I took the job at NYCFC, I knew about sports. You know, you and I, I'd been at Disney. i had I'd worked a little bit back then on, on the team ownership side. We owned the Ducks and in the, in the Angels when I was there. I'd worked at Tribeca with ESPN a lot around the Tribeca ESPN Sports Film Festival, and I'd seen 30 for 30 launch and all that. But when I got to NYCFC... I took the job. I was really excited. I thought, this is an incredible platform. But then I looked at like the actual uh, guidelines of what we could sell and what we couldn't sell. And I saw that there was this 90-mile radius. It hadn't occurred to me that I wouldn't be able to go to LA and like promote New York City FC without approval from the league or basically couldn't do it at all. And that, I think, is something that um, if you're going to build an organization and build a property from scratch, I think you start with a global audience and really take down all those barriers. And so that's one thing we have not done. And we don't have any of that kind of what's for the team, what's for the league. This is all one property.
1: Completely agree. And you were at NYC FC. I was at Madison Square Garden. And you would say, well, New York's a big market. New York City, Tri-State, that's a huge... It actually is quite limiting at the end of the day, no matter how big it is, if you have to stay within that footprint. It's really hard to build a global presence, which is what you're after. And so I think with this, we talked about fantasy. We also mentioned esports. I think it's closer to esports in that sense, right? That The games travel beyond borders, and we'll see. Some esports now, like Overwatch, is trying to make it location-based and maybe fighting the inertia of what people want, which is cross-border and just being a fan regardless. And we'll see. Obviously, we'll see in all areas here. John, this is obviously a business endeavor. I mean, there is clearly yeah. a social good. I love the promotion of female sports. I love that it's just a good concept, but it is a business. And Jonathan and yourself are investors here. You, of course, come from an investment family. Your father is famed venture capitalist, Alan Patrigoff. I don't know if you will let him invest in this, but from the proposition of being an investor in Athletes Unlimited, is this a huge business opportunity? Is this something that can scale and be something that's truly a big business and thus could attract that type of capital? Or is that not the point?
2: The answer is yes. And that's why I'm here. I believe there's a big business opportunity. So 100% yes. But there are some unique elements that are, that are worth covering. So first is that Jonathan has invested in this. He's put the capital in. And he, though, has agreed to cap his returns. And any of the excess profits from his end are going to go to the athletes themselves. So the athletes share in 50% of the profits of the league. And they share. So if you play in the 2020 season, you get a share of the profits in the 2020 season and for 19 years into the future. So it's a quasi-equity structure for the athletes. And that was a big part of this for us, which is that we are compensating the athletes with base comp. They have incentive bonuses, but then they do share in the long-term profits. And they're also involved in governance. We're going to have athletes on the board of directors. We have something called a player executive committee that works with us on a weekly and daily basis. A subset of the players help us make decisions about everything. We put them on the calls with about media strategy, about certain sponsorship partners, about league rules. They actually are the ones who handle discipline for players. If there was any violation of any rules during the season, that was not coming from myself. That actually came from the players themselves. So there's a real model here about what happens and what's the power of unlocking employee and kind of stakeholder Involvement. And that's, I think, a bigger conversation around corporate governance overall. You know, I'm really struck a lot by what Dan Schulman's doing at PayPal, and he talks a lot about that. And what's the model of employee governance going forward? And that's a core part of this. And Jonathan, that was one of the fundamental things he wanted to test out with Athletes Unlimited. And I think it's proving so far to be hugely successful. That said, my interest in this is really building a huge enterprise and benefiting the athletes, but also benefiting all the other stakeholders that are involved. I think the concept and the potential is really significant. It starts with the idea of just taking down the borders and making this a global property, being able to reach fans. One of the things that COVID did was that it really allowed us to focus on our global fan club. We call it the Unlimited Club. That was probably the most significant shift that occurred because of COVID, we realized we weren't going to have fans in the stands and, okay, let's double down on focus and resources on what does it mean to be a virtual fan of the league. And so we let the fans vote on our MVPs of the game, which contributes to the player's scores, which contributes to their compensation. We gave them access in the dugout to interact with fans. We did virtual autograph sessions. So you could be anywhere in the world and you'd log in. In for a virtual autograph session, get to ask your favorite player questions, and then we'd send you the balls, you know, we'd mail them out that night, and, you know, you'd end up with an autograph, which I think is a, such a cool idea. We actually, you'll so love cool. this. You'll love this. So cool. We actually, yeah. one of the more fun ideas, it's a small one, but it's fun, is one game a week, we assigned you a section in the stands, and if a foul ball was into that section, we'd actually mail you the foul ball. So that was also really oh fun. Oh my gosh. People love that. I but, love that. I love that. But let's remember, I mean, we know this already. We know that the fan base for, you know, a successful NBA team or an EPL Team ninety eight percent of the fans never will attend a game. You know, in Manchester, you know, if you're a fan of Manchester City, ninety eight percent of the fans will never go to Manchester to watch a game. We all know that's the reality. So why are we focused and spending time on the two percent who are going to come into the stadium? I understand there's revenue there, but on a relative scale standpoint, our whole focus is you know that other ninety eight percent and. That's the opportunity, and we're not going to have all the costs that are associated with what some of the traditional leagues are having to deal with. I've been following, I very follow very closely you know obviously what the other leagues are doing and you know I saw, a few weeks ago with the NBA commissioner saying, there's no way we're doing the bubble again. It just doesn't work. It's going to be impossible. I know that last night, he, you know, after the NBA finals, he was talking and it sounded like he kept the door open a little bit more, but they're planning on having fans, but everyone knows that involves renegotiations with the players and all the difficulties that's going to present. And you're going to have season ticket holders and you've got venue owners. And I feel fortunate. We're not going to spend any of our time on any of that. We're focused on growth. And building for 2021. We've already announced our softball season will be back at the exact same time, the exact same location and the exact same format next year. And like you said, volleyball will happen in February of this year in Nashville. And then our third sport will happen next summer in a different location. So by the you know 2021, I'm looking forward to the launch of a volleyball league in Nashville, the launch of a new sport next summer, and then softball again in, in August of 2021, right after the Olympics. So I think we'll also have a huge amount of energy.
1: Will that be a women's sport or TBD? It will be women's women's
2: sports. So I think the third sport will be a women's sport as well. Again, where we see the opportunity. We're pretty active right now on two more sports that could join the network. So I don't know where it stops. When we think about where we might grow, the network certainly can grow to four or five or six sports. The other option, right, is that we do create a second season. So it's conceivable the softball season exists in, you know, August, September, and then it exists in...
1: Right. You have a spring and fall split, which actually is in eSports as well. uh, Exactly. Which... Could make complete sense.
2: Complete sense. So we wouldn't change the fundamental kind of competition structure. We just have, have two different seasons. You're right. It exists in eSports. Um, it's existed in Mexican soccer, where you have two totally different seasons. That's another opportunity for growth. You know, on the media side, I think that one of the other things we were able to do successfully, I mean, we had two great traditional partners. They were you know, supportive. It was great to have those games. But then we built in a, a pretty good network around that. We had a good partnership with Wave TV, which has a huge network of digital and social platforms. Our TikTok presence was tremendous. I mean, I looked back in a fun anecdote, which I find shocking. So I looked back over the last uh, weekend of play. So so we finished our season last weekend. It was a huge sports weekend, right? You had NBA going on, you have NHL, Stanley Cup, you've got MLB going on into the postseason, you've got NFL. The only other property besides us that had a, had a TikTok video with more than a million views was us and the NFL. So we surpassed on TikTok over that weekend Every property, and that includes everything except for the NFL. I just was blown away by it. But you see the young fan engagement on that platform. Obviously, a lot of young girls, but young fans generally. It's extremely positive. It's totally different than what you know. I think for most sports fans, we see on Twitter or in a traditional male kind of dominated environment. And that gives me a tremendous amount of confidence. And maybe feel great, by the way, just seeing the positivity. People talking about how great those athletes are. Seeing, yeah, and a lot of that just, just seeing. Amazing play highlights. It's so incredibly refreshing great, and it's, again, innovative well. and a
1: different way to approach it. And uh, I think you're onto something. I love the fact that there were no coaches. I think you may have kind of intimated this, but you know, you called them facilitators. Each of these teams had facilitators. Yeah. And to me, that again, you've been so smart in thinking of what works and what doesn't work. Because if you look at youth sports in general, where people are gravitating. It was action sports a decade ago, and now it's esports for many young fans and participants. And it's where there isn't a hierarchy to how they play. No one tells them how to play, how to do it. And you brought that to this, which is, again, a traditional bat and ball sport. But you're doing it in a way that I think speaks to a new generation of fans.
2: You're absolutely right. And I think that one of the things that then shines as a result of that is the players were playing incredibly high level of softball, but they're also having fun, right? And they're engaging with one another. And fans know that at the end of the day, I worry a little bit about sports, you know, you know, a couple different reasons, but one is I, you know, I think that general sense that there's strife, you know, there's strife between the players and the teams and the leagues. I don't think fans... Love that part of this. I think that's a hard thing for us all to digest. And I think at the end of the day, it is about the players. We're all here. We're, we're on the business side. we we play a huge role. I think there's no questions. Leagues wouldn't be where they are without some great business leadership. But at the end of the day, it is about the players. So I think fans saw that the players would talk about it. They'd say, "We're just having so much fun. We're enjoying this. We're, we're getting to know each other." And that's gold from just a fan engagement perspective, for sure. And, and in traditional sports.
1: You do have this owner-player dynamic and the owner dynamic is one where they've paid for the infrastructure, right? That they've put all the money into buying the team and the license and building a stadium and, you know, that, that there has to be some risk tolerance and shared, but but here it's just a different model. Okay. So very exciting. So uh-huh. Athletes Unlimited, we just finished six weeks in Rosemont, huge success. Again, volleyball coming to Nashville in the spring next year and then a summer sport you're onto something here. I think you are. And if you build this tribe and people actually follow you and they, they'll vote with their wallet, it can be a big business.
2: Like I said, I always go into these things with, you know, a healthy dose of humility and, you know, know how long these roads are and, I'm hopeful. I think you just take every step. I I am trying to, you know, appreciate what was accomplished these last six weeks because, you know, and it's been great. I've had a lot of people say, you know, listen, you should just be happy. You pulled this off. I mean, that's never the metric I use. Like I'm listen, we're, 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 the season ended on uh, Monday. You and I are talking here on Thursday. Like I got a full slate of things I got to do for volleyball or for 2021. Like you can't pick your foot up off the pedal. It was super competitive and there's so much to be done, but it has been a great start, and we had a lot of new innovations, but then I believe that traditional media still matters. I do think it was helpful for us to still have CBS and ESPN involved. Having partners like Geico or Nike makes a huge difference. It, and I'll tell you, it matters to the athlete. I will tell you one thing. When we had these media discussions, I told you they were involved in a lot of decision making. There were points in the process where I didn't know if we would get traditional linear distribution. and We talked to them, and we'd say, okay, well, what if we use an OTT service? Or what if we just put these up on YouTube? And I will tell you that the players, I think it would have been fine and it might've worked, but it mattered to them that partners like ESPN or CBS or Nike or Geico were involved. Like, it's a signaling effect and brand association matters. And so I'm fortunate that brands like those took a risk on us and had got involved. And that is a key kind of element of this. That
1: and makes complete
2: sense. I the mean, they want to be they, seen.
1: They put on their best show and they want people to see that. It's a virtuous circle for sure. All right, John. So Athletes Unlimited, we talked about that. Let's quickly do some fun facts with you here. And I'd like to get a little sense of, you know, high-flying executives like yourself, what podcast you're listening to.
2: Well, of course, Kindred Cast. I really do love it. I listen to it all the time. Thank Obviously, you. Obviously, I listen to the daily frequently. Yeah. So those are two that I love.
1: Okay. Pandemic times. People are watching a lot of TV. What's a great show you're uh, streaming or recommend here? Then maybe off the beaten path.
2: So I've gone back. I, I did have a bunch of time while I was in Rosemont. So and right now I got Shits Creek on, which is terrific. And I've totally found myself falling in love with it. And, and you know, you have those great moments when I think about some of these great scenes in Shit's Creek. So I'm loving that right now.
1: Shit's Creek. Okay. That is a
2: great one. And and another one one I'll give you, and another one I'll give you, which is, which is different, which is Normal People, which if people haven't seen, Normal People is a great... On Hulu. On Hulu. Great. Based on a novel, great story about um, two kind of young people, kind of coming age story, kind of through high school and, and through college. College was great.
1: I've heard great things. So, by the way, you mentioned you had all that time, Rosemont. You were shielded, bubbled, however you characterize it, as well.
2: Like you didn't see your family, or you did? I actually came back for uh, a few days because actually had to take my daughter to boarding school, and then otherwise I was there. Yeah, so I was there, and and when I left, and when I got back to Rosemont, I had to kind of isolate for three days before I'd enter any interaction, and I was there otherwise the better part of, you know, what was the six weeks? It was an interesting experience. I will say it was fun to be working with people again. I mean, I think I don't want to make it sound so horrible. I mean, you, you know, you think of the concept, but it's fun to be back physically in a working environment. And I did have that benefit. And whether it was around my colleagues who were there, most importantly, I mean, I didn't really spend a lot of time at all with the athletes, but, but just even seeing people with masks on and, and being in an office environment, it was a welcome change.
1: I can imagine. I can imagine. Well, John, thank you so much for doing the show with us here. Congrats on your first season being done. Athletes Unlimited. Look for the volleyball season and much more to come from this. And uh, we really appreciate it. Thanks so much, John.
2: Thanks, Alex. Great to be with you.
0: Thanks for listening today. We hope you learned something new. You should also check out our podcast, Kinsider and The Vasey View, both part of the Kindred Media Network, You can find them wherever you're listening to podcasts. If you liked what you heard today, feel free to share the show with a friend or even leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. It really helps. Thanks. We'll see you soon.